Welcome to Your Change, a broadcast aimed at revealing grace and empowering transformation. Through the revelation of God's undeserved, unearned and unmerited favour, we are committed to helping you make better changes in life for life. Forgetfulness is very disastrous. If you look in life, we can all agree that a number of the challenges or the disasters that we have encountered or that we are encountering or that we shall encounter boil down to forgetfulness. That's why I'm saying forgetfulness is disastrous. Imagine a reverend busy coming to the big Sunday and the big Sunday finishes and he forgets to go home. That would be a disaster at home with mom busy. Imagine a student applying to go to uni. How many students have applied to go to uni? How many students are at uni? Imagine applying to go to uni. And then when you get to uni, you forget why you went to uni. That's a common thing, isn't it? Forgetfulness is disastrous. There are a number of things that we do that are self-evident that we forget things that are very important. And one of the areas that I've personally seen is church people. Sometimes they come to church or many times they come to church and they forget the reason why they have come to church. And they begin to entangle themselves with things that are completely divorced from the purpose of coming to church. Forgetfulness is very disastrous. Now, the dictionary simply defines forgetfulness or to forget as to dismiss from the mind. To forget, it means to dismiss from the mind. And when you look at this, it is become so crystal clear that whatsoever you forget, you easily abandon. Whatsoever you forget, you forsake. Whatsoever is forgotten is easily renounced. That is why I'm saying forgetfulness is very disastrous. Now, when you look at our Christian journey, Paul at one time, he says, we do not fight against flesh and blood, but our battle is in the spiritual realm against principalities, against uh, rulers in the dark places. Now, when a believer forgets their Christian journey or their Christian battle, there are three specific things that tend to happen. Number one, forgetfulness creates inroads for the enemy into our lives. In simple words, whenever we become very forgetful of the important things in our Christian journey, we build a highway for the enemy into our lives. Every time we are forgetful, we give the enemy an upper hand of us. And number three, 
Forgetfulness then will result in slavery. Where you no longer have Christ as your master, but you have another master who does not give you freedom, but who gives you slavery. That's what forgetfulness does in our lives. Over the next few minutes, can I borrow your ears as I speak into your life over a title that I've called, I Will Not Forget. My objective this afternoon is to bring you to a place where when you go home, when you go to work, you are able to tell yourself and remind yourself that I will not forget because you know and you understand that forgetfulness is disastrous, especially when it comes to the things of the faith. Forgetfulness is disastrous. Tell somebody who's next to you and say, I will not forget. Uh, tell them like you mean it, I will not forget. And now I want you to tell yourself that I will not forget. Now, if you remember when we had our Passover conference, we had our Passover conference with a theme, a better arrangement. And the better arrangement was talking about the new covenant. Now, I want to continue to speak in the same spirit of the Passover conference. So when I'm saying, say to yourself, I will not forget. I'm referring to the new covenant. Because to forget your covenant is very disastrous. It will create inroads for the enemy into your life. It will give your enemy an upper hand over you. And ultimately, it will result in slavery. Now, if I'm to summarize the whole message that I'm going to preach, I would put it in this statement. Forgetfulness deprives believers of their covenant privileges. Forgetfulness deprives who? Believers of what? Of their covenant privileges. So that means when we come to a covenant, there are privileges that are there for you. But to forget them, you're simply depriving yourself. In other words, you are disadvantaging yourself. It's the most important instrument God has placed in your hands. It is the new covenant. Now, to forget that covenant, you are simply disadvantaging yourself because there are privileges in this new covenant. In order for us not to deprive ourselves, to disadvantage ourselves from the privileges that we have in the new covenant, it is important for us, number one, to comprehend, to grasp, to understand the power of a covenant. Now, I was looking through all the scriptures and I came to a portion of the scripture that paints beautifully the power of a covenant. And uh, just bear with me 
As I read from Joshua chapter number 9, verse number 1 to 19. I just want you to listen very carefully. It's the story or the account of a man called Joshua. After he had gone and he fought Jericho and he overcame Jericho and overcame this small city called Ai. And when you come to chapter number, one, num, chapter number 9, verse number 1, the writer then goes on to say, Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, about the victories of Joshua over, uh, over, over Jericho and over a city called Ai, when they heard about these things, the kings in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far as Lebanon, and these are the names of the kings, the, the Hittites, the kings of the Hittites, kings of the Amorites, the kings of the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and also the Jebusites. These kings, what they did is, they came together to wage war against who? Against Joshua and Israel. However, when the people of Gibeon, somebody say Gibeon. When the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they resorted to a rush. Now that's to become crafty, to become cunning, to become trickery. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Now, they, they are cooking up a, a scenario. Next verse. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. That word treaty is the word covenant. Somebody say covenant. They said, Joshua, we have come for a very distant country. Make a covenant with us. The Israelites said to the Hivites, but uh, perhaps you live near us. So how can we make a treaty with you? How can we make a covenant with you? Perhaps you are not coming from a distant place. We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? They answered, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard the reports of him, all that he did were right from Egypt. Verse number 10. And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites, east of Jordan, Sion, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtoreth. And our elders... And all those living in the country said to us, take provisions for your journey and go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants, make a covenant with us. Verse number 12. This bread of ours was warm. <laughs> Listen to the trickery. This bread that you're seeing, it was warm. Other version says it was hot or it was fresh on the day we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that we filled, they were brand new. When we left home, they were brand what? They were new. But see how quick they are. And our clothes, look at our clothes. Look at our sandals. 
They are worn out by a very long journey. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not, but did not the greatest mistake believers make. Not inquiring from the Lord. They sampled the bread, but they did not ask the Lord. They checked the bread, but they did not check with the Lord. Then Joshua made a, a covenant of peace with them to let them live. And the leaders of the assembly, they ratified it by an oath, sealed it. When a covenant is ratified by an oath, it becomes irrevocable. It can no longer be changed. Now, the Gibeonites, they have tricked Joshua and Israelites to the point that the elders in Israel, they came to ratify, to authenticate the covenant. Three days after they made the covenant with the Gibeonites, the Israelites then heard that they were neighbors, living not far away from them, but living near them. It was after three days. A very common thing in many believers. Have you ever taken a move where you think you are right and then after sealing everything and then you realize, oh, oh, I should not have done this. So the Israelites set out and on the third day came to their cities. They went to the cities of the Gibeonites. Gibeon, Kepira, Beeroth, uh, Kiriath, Jerim. Don't worry about those names and please don't give them your children to you. But the Israelites did not attack them because the Israelites, in as much as they were angry, they could not attack the Gibeonites because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders. <laughs> Ooh, I'm, just, I'm just thinking that if it happened in the 21st century, especially in the UK, to our leaders... I will leave it there. But all the leaders answered, we have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel. Therefore, we cannot even touch them. Now, there is a covenant now, which cannot be broken. Let's go to chapter number 10. All I'm trying to show you, I want to show you the power of a covenant. In chapter number 10, this is after they had made the covenant and they could not do anything because they had sworn with them. Now, Adonis, the king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken I and totally destroyed it, doing to I and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon, the Gibeonites, would trick them. They heard that they had made a covenant of peace with Israel and had become their allies. That's number two. He and his people, that's the king of Jerusalem, he and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than I, and all its men were good fighters. So, king of Israel, Jerusalem, Adon Zedek, appealed to Haman, king of Hebron, number one, of Piram, Piram king of Jamuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debi, king of Eglon. Come up and help me attack Gibeon. The people that made the city a covenant with Joshua. Please come and help us to fight the Gibeonites. Because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, of Hebron, of Jamuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. They came together. 
they moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon. Not only did they take positions, they attacked it. I want you to follow now carefully with me. I want to show you the power of what? A covenant. The Gibeonites then sent a word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. Do not abandon us, your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us because all the Amorite kings from the hill country, they have joined forces against us. And here's my question. Gibeon, what is giving you the audacity to call Joshua after you trick them? Gibeon will tell you that we have a covenant. Gibeon, where are you getting the courage to call the people that you deceived? The Gibeon will tell you, we have a covenant. And that covenant is irrevocable. It cannot be changed. It cannot be altered. So Joshua, after hearing the message, what does Joshua do? Joshua did not sit down and say, ha ha, now it's your turn. Joshua did not sit down and relax and say, aha, we got you. Joshua never said, hey, you reap what you sow. But because of a covenant, Joshua marched up from Gilgal. In other words, the call from the Gibeonites, it disrupted the program of Joshua. And Joshua had to stand up and respond because of a covenant. So Joshua left Gilgal with his entire army. He did not take some with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. Joshua, why are you taking the rest of your army? Why are you taking your best fighters? Joshua will tell you that I entered into a covenant. And the people would come to Joshua and say, but they deceived you. Is this not a good opportunity to revenge? But Joshua would say, we made a covenant before the Lord. So Joshua left. The Lord said to Joshua, listen, Joshua stood up because of the covenant. And the heaven joined in. The Lord said to Joshua, Joshua, don't be afraid of them. I have given them into your hands. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Hold on, Joshua. Hold on, God. These people you are trying to defend, they are, they are deceivers. They deceived you. And you are carrying the whole army. Not only the whole army, but the best fighters. And God is also stepping on the scene. It's all happening because of a covenant. Covenant. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. Listen, it's not Joshua only who is fighting for the Gibeonites, but God himself is joined in. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon as they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah. The Lord hurled large stones down on them and more of them died from the hell than the ones who were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Because of a covenant. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Ahajalon. Because of a covenant. So the son respected the command of Joshua. 
So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies as it is written in the book of Joshua. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. <laughs> the power of a covenant. Hold on, these people deceived you. But Joshua got to a place where he said, God, please answer my prayer. The sun has to stand still so that I can fulfill my covenant obligation to the Gibeonites. Even though they deceived me, but because I entered into a covenant with them. Listen to me. The Gibeonites were outnumbered by the five kings. Not only were they outnumbered, but they were overpowered by the five kings. But when Joshua stepped on the scene, he asked God to make sure that the sun stands still until the enemies have been destroyed. And Joshua is doing all this so that he can fulfill a covenant obligation. Now listen to me very carefully. Joshua, it means Yahweh is salvation. Joshua, it means to serve. Joshua, it means Jehovah will save us. If I'm to sum it up in simple words, I would say, Joshua, it means savior. Now, as for the Gibeonites, they had their savior called Joshua, who had to come because of a covenant. When things were tight on them, when the enemies were surrounding them from every corner, but the Gibeonites, they had their savior. And all they needed to do was to call Joshua. Joshua must come here. We want the presence of Joshua here. Why? Because the presence of Joshua will make a difference. The presence of Joshua will make a difference. Now remember I said, when we become forgetful of our covenant, we deprive ourselves of the covenantal privileges. Then what is the privilege of a covenant? The privilege of a covenant, it is the presence that makes a difference. The privilege of a covenant, it is a presence that makes a difference. Now the Gibeonites understood that the presence of Joshua will definitely make a difference. Joshua must come here. Why must Joshua come here? Because of a covenant that we entered into with him. Now listen to me. The Gibeonites, they had their own Joshua. But as, as for you and I, we have our Savior. I'm saying we have our Savior. And his name is not Joshua anymore. But his name is Jesus the Christ. So when the Gibeonites are surrounded by the five kings of the Amorites, all I'm seeing, I'm seeing believers who have been besieged by the enemy. I'm seeing the church that has been surrounded by the enemy. But let me tell you, when you've been surrounded by challenges, when problems have encompassed you, all you need to do is to make sure that Joshua is aware of your situation. Make sure that Joshua knows about your situation. Let him know. Jeremiah says, call unto me and I will answer you. Let Joshua know about your situation. The reason why Joshua will rise up is because of a covenant. 
Church of the Living God, we have a covenant with Jesus the Christ. We are in a covenant with Jesus the Christ. The moment he hears about your situation, he's not going to sit down. He's not going to relax. He watches over Israel, does not sleep nor slumber. Tell him, tell him, tell him. The Gibeonites, they had their own Joshua, but we have our own Joshua in the person of the Lord, Jesus the Christ. In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the covenant that we entered with Joshua, with Jesus, it is irrevocable. It cannot be changed. It cannot be changed. It cannot be altered. It cannot be edited. God is faithful to every single promise that he has given you and I in the new covenant. When you call upon him, he's going to answer you. Mama, I know you are going through stuff. Yes, the Amorites are surrounding you. The Jebusites are surrounding you. The Hephites are coming against you. But let me tell you, let Joshua know. Let Joshua know. Send a word to Joshua. Send a word to Joshua. And Joshua will respond because of a covenant. Joshua is not going to respond because of your good prayers. Joshua is not going to respond because of your long prayers or your short prayers. Joshua is not going to respond because of the loudness of your prayer. But Joshua is going to respond because of the covenant. So whether you make a short prayer, whether you make a long prayer, whether you make a loud prayer, let me tell you, all you need to do is just to make a prayer. Call upon Joshua. Call upon Jesus. He will answer us. He will respond to you because of the covenant. Somebody say the power of a covenant is in the presence. That makes the difference. Now, so for us as the New Testament believers, what is that presence? To those who remember at our Easter conference, we spoke about the three things that constitutes a divine covenant. Anybody remembers that? Three things that constitutes a divine covenant. Number one are the words. Somebody say the words. When you talk about the words, you're talking about the promises of the Father to us. I shall heal you. I shall lead you. I shall guide you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. These are the words of the covenant. By his stripes you are healed. These are the words of the covenant. Uh, 10,000 may fall on your right hand, but uh, uh, it shall not come anywhere near you. These are the words of uh, the covenant. So remember the first thing that constitutes a divine covenant are the words of the covenant. And the words of the covenant are not given by Pastor Daniel. They are not given by Reverend Beast. They are given by our Heavenly Father. Because if I give you the covenant words, I will take them when you want to use them. I'm a human being. I will withdraw them because I change. But thanks be to God. We have a father who is unchanging in his nature. Every time he makes a promise, he honors his promises. God is not a man that he should lie. Nor a son of man that he should change his mind. So the words of the covenant are given by the Father. And number two, the divine covenant are constituted by number two, the blood of the covenant. 
I'm going to rush here. And number three, every divine covenant is constituted by a seal. Somebody say a seal. Now, let me teach a little bit and then I'll close on that one. What is a seal? What is a seal? A seal is an ongoing tangible witness to the veracity or the truthfulness of the covenant. That's what a seal is. It's, a, it's an ongoing tangible witness to the veracity or the truthfulness, the genuineness, the authenticity, the preciseness of a covenant. That's what a seal is. What then is the purpose of a, of a seal? A seal serves as a constant reminder <laughs> of the authenticity of the covenantal promises and terms. Let's break it down in simple words. The purpose of a seal, it serves as a constant reminder that God is going to do what he said. What did he say? He gave the promises. How do I know that God is going to do what he says? He gives us a seal. So, the moment I see a seal, I am rest assured that God is going to do what he promised. Let's qualify it. I'll just walk through a few covenants from my slides. The first one is the Noahic covenant. The seal of the Noahic covenant was there. So every time you see the rainbow, it means that God is going to do what he promised to Noah. I'm not going to destroy the earth with the waters again. Never. A seal serves as a constant reminder that God is going to do what he promised. So to Noah, to the Noahic covenant, he gave a seal in the form of a rainbow. To the Abrahamic covenant, the seal was circumcision. So every time children were circumcised at eight days old, in other words, they were entering into a covenant with God. This was so serious to the extent that if a child got to eight years and they were not circumcised, they would die. Do you remember that day, Moses? Moses said, the son. And Moses forgot. Forgetfulness is disastrous. And Moses forgot to what? To circumcise his son. And the Bible says, and Moses was about to be killed, and the son was about to be killed by God because they did not observe their covenant seal. And the wife realized quickly, thank God, women in the house, the wife remembered quickly that ah, the trouble that we are in is because Moses did not circumcise the child. So what does the wife do? She quickly ran. She could not find a knife. But she found a sharp stone to circumcise him. And as soon as the child was circumcised, the son lived. The power of a covenant. That is why when you come to the New Testament, the Jews never played games with circumcision. It was a serious thing to them. It was a covenant thing. The covenant, the covenant. From the Abrahamic covenant, we have the Mosaic covenant. And the seal of the Mosaic covenant was Sabbath. Somebody say Sabbath. Ah, no wonder why the Jews were take take on Jesus and his disciples. Why are you doing this on Sabbath? Why are you doing this on Sabbath? Why are you working on Sabbath? It was a seal of the covenant. It reminded the Israelites of the covenant that God entered into with them. It was a constant reminder that God is going to fulfill every covenantal promise. The Sabbath, 
The only problem is that the Jews, they failed to realize that it was so, not so much in the day, but it was in the person. Because Sabbath is about rest. So when Jesus came, he is the Sabbath. He is our rest. So we no longer need to observe the day if the person is now there. We no longer need the shadow if the substance is now there. It was a seal of the covenant. When you come to the Davidic covenant, the seal of the Davidic covenant was the star. That's why when you're reading about Israel, they talk about the star of David. Does it make sense now? That's why they talk about the star of David. It's emanating from Genesis chapter number 1, where God says the, the sun shall give light over day. The moon shall give light over what day. And there's a time when God says, if these ones stop, then I'll break my covenant with David. If the sun stops to give light and the moon stops to give light, night, light at night time, I will break my covenant with David. So the seal of the Davidic covenant, it was what? The star. It was a constant reminder that God was going to do what he promised. So every time David woke up and he looked up in the stars, in the sky and he saw the stars, he was reminded that God was going to come in and do what he promised. But here is the good news, church of God. When you come to the New Testament, the New Testament, it has a seal. <laughs> the seal of the New Testament is the Holy Spirit. But here is where the dynamics change. When you come to the New Testament, the seal no longer serves just as a reminder. But it serves as a reminder and as an executor. The Holy Spirit reminds us. Not only does he remind us, but he is the executor of the new covenant. Uh, let me explain a little bit. Um, I can see I'm losing a few people. When you write a will or a testament, when you write a will, right, you write your wishes, you are, you are giving instructions about the things that should happen when you die, pertaining to your inheritance, pertaining to your money, pertaining to your PIN number. It's a secret now, isn't it? Your wife doesn't even know your PIN number. So when you're writing, oh, please don't forget to write what? Your PIN number, otherwise we will struggle when there's money in the account. We don't want to struggle unnecessarily. So when you write your will, please write your PIN number as well. And that's not what I'm saying. But when you write a will, when you finish writing a will, you, you don't keep it under the mattress. Yeah? You, you don't put it under the pillow. You take it to a lawyer. And the one who keeps that will is called an executor. Now, the responsibility of an executor is that when you die, the executor is the only person who's got legal rights to carry out the instructions on the will. So if I write on my will that um, 2,000, perhaps that's the only money that I have, and I write, say 2,000 is going to go to, guess who? You say to your wife. If I say 2,000 is going to go to Reverend Vizi in my will, when everyone is expecting that the man is going to go to Minister Willie, when the executor comes, it doesn't matter how much Minister Willie is going to cry and say he was my husband. The executor will simply carry out the instructions to the dot. 
And here's what I'm trying to communicate to you this afternoon. That for the New Testament believer, we have the Holy Ghost as the New Testament reminder and executor. He's not coming to execute what people think is the best for you, but he's coming to execute what God the Father has said is your portion. So, if the Father promised that by the stripes of my son you are healed, what the Holy Ghost simply does, he doesn't listen to what Sangomas are saying. He will not listen to what people from Tonashanga are saying. He will simply execute according to the instruction. That's all he will do. That's all he will do. If the promise of God upon your life declares that you shall never be the tail, but you shall be the head, all the Holy Ghost will do, he will come to execute according to the instruction. Even if people come and they say whatever they want to say, the Holy Ghost is not going to listen to that. He's going to execute according to the instruction of the Father. Am I talking to somebody in the house in this place? We have a Father who has given promises to us. We have a Father who has given good promises to us. They are not promises to harm us, but it's a promise to give us an expected end. It's a promise to give us good health. It's a promise to protect us. It's a promise to shield us. It's a promise to guide us. It's a promise to fight for us. And all the seal is going to do is going to come and execute. To come and execute. But listen to me as I come to the close. The only danger that we have with the church, the church is forgetful of its promises. The church is forgetful of its covenant. The church is forgetful of its covenant seal. We have a church that has forgotten the Holy Ghost. We have a church that has got everything else, but it has forgotten the Holy Ghost. We have a church that has got guitars, material things. It has people in the church, but the church is no longer moving in the power of the Holy Ghost. Now the absence of the Holy Ghost in the church, that means we cannot access the covenantal promises. Because the one who's supposed to carry out, to execute the promises, has been kicked out of the church. Central region, can I ask you? Let's bring back the Holy Ghost in the church. Let's bring back the Holy Ghost in the church. Whatever we may do in our meetings, I'm asking leaders, let's have the Holy Ghost come back and take the center stage in our church. Let him be God. Let him speak in our lives. Let him guide us. Let him order the steps. Let him show us the way. He is the executor of the covenant promises. We all want to walk in the power of the early church. We all want the same power that our fathers walked in. Let me tell you, they never forgot that the key is in the Holy Ghost. The key is not in votes. Uh, let me repeat it. I say the key is not in votes. The key is in allowing the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives and allow him to guide his church and allow him to lead his church 
He is the executor of the new covenant promises. Let me tell you, Papa will not fulfill the covenant of promises. A wristband will not fulfill the covenant promises. Water and milk that has been prayed over and put in a bottle will not fulfill the covenantal promises. The only one who has the legal right to execute the covenantal promises is the Holy Ghost. So a church that flows and walks in the power of the Holy Ghost is a church that is walking in the covenant. It's a church that is walking in the power of a covenant. And once you are in a covenant, I tell you, even though the five kings of the Amorites, they come and they surround you, and you are outnumbered, it doesn't matter. Sit down and relax. Joshua is coming. Joshua is over your case. Jesus is over your case. He is the executor of the covenant. The father began to give promises right from Jeremiah chapter 31. He says, in those days, I'm going to make a covenant. It shall not be like the one that I made with their fathers, which they broke. I shall write the laws upon the templates of their mind and upon the templates of their heart. And Joel cries out in chapter number 2, verse 28 to 29. He says, in those last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters, they shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your maid servants, they shall prophesy. When you come to Luke chapter number one, God visits Mary and he says to Mary, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. The Holy Ghost shall come upon you. And when the child was born, as a result of the power of the Holy Ghost, he goes on to give you a promise. I want you to go to Jerusalem. Except number one, verse number eight. I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait there until power from on high has come upon you. You shall become my witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea, from Judea to Samaria, from Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. Church, we cannot do without the Holy Ghost. Never. There is a place for intelligence. There is a place for wisdom. There is a place for human wisdom. But let me tell you, that can never replace the place of the Holy Ghost in the church of God. I'm not just talking about what we heard. I'm talking about what we experienced. A few days ago, we were celebrating the life of our eldest dad who was promoted to glory. If you check the journey of our dad, in our church, he was not known because of academics, but he's the only man in our church who was known because of the Holy Ghost. And the challenge now is we want to duplicate the same things that they were doing without the Holy Ghost. It will not work simple. not work. Dad, can you allow me to speak to the emerging leaders? I, I, I'm passionate about them. The rising leaders, it doesn't matter how old you are. Can I speak to you? You need the Holy Ghost. 
especially those who are getting into ministry. You cannot do ministry if the Holy Spirit is not empowering you. It's painful. You see us sitting in the front here wearing ties and suits like this. It's not the same at 12 midnight. Yeah? It's, it's not the same at 5 o'clock in the morning when everyone is enjoying their last few hours of the night, getting ready to do the business of the day. Your phone is on 24-7. It takes only the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I look back on my own journey and I can testify that if it had not been for the Holy Ghost, I would have given up a long time ago. I remember when I was commissioned to go to Mutual Kids. The first real test of ministry was to deal with one of our members with terminal cancer. And here's the tough part of it. There were no relatives around. So as a pastor, you become the relative. Not only the relative, you become the next of kin. I remember going to the hospital and they said, who is the next of kin? Just step forward, it's me. To sign the documents. Every time the situation gets worse, who gets the phone call? It's the next of kin. And the next of kin is at work. Every time something needs to be done, it needs to be made. Who is called? It's the next of kin. Who is the next of kin? It's not a blood relative. It's a pastor. I remember the last day when they called me. I was just finishing work and I said, thank God. At least I got the phone call when I was just finished work at 5 o'clock. Instead of passing through home, I had to go straight to the hospital. The kids are waiting at home for daddy to come home, but daddy has gone to hospital. He's not just your dad, he's the next of kin. You get to the hospital and the people in the hospital, they're waiting for you to, to authorize decisions. And slowly the curtains are being closed. They said, we're giving you the last moment with your relative. No, I'm next of kin from church. I remember those tough times where you had to sit down and call the actual relatives back home on the phone. You are pained here, but you have to encourage and give hope to those who are back home. Sit down and you have to prepare them for the West. You cannot do this without the Holy Ghost. You give up. You give up. I remember that moment when they closed the curtain and they said we're giving you to have peace. And if you want to sing the last songs and uh, say the last prayers. I remember that day I was sitting on the bed and my mom could not sit down. Dad, I had to take her, put her in my hands, as young as I am, to carry on my hands on the side. She gave the last breath while I was holding her. I'm just a young boy coming into ministry. And you are started on this note. You would run away. You would give up on this God. All that is done and every paper that needs to be processed for the body to be reparted, it's your signature. If your signature is not there, nothing moves. 
I remember the funeral had to be done in my house. Young leaders, ministry is not about positions. I said, ministry is not about positions. We have people that are in positions, but that are not influential. And we have people that don't have a position, but they are real leaders. Their presence makes a difference. Church of God, we cannot do without the Holy Ghost. We cannot do without the power of the Holy Ghost. That's why Jesus said to say, please don't leave Jerusalem. Don't leave. Don't be quick to make a move. Wait until he comes. Because when he comes, he shall remind you of all things. Because he's a constant reminder of the covenantal promises. He will remind you. But the only problem that we have is we've got the Gibeonites, another type of Gibeonites. We have forgotten that Joshua is there. We've got a breed of believers that have forgotten that we have a covenant with Jesus. And the covenant works in our favor. The covenant is designed to work in our favor. It's never designed to work against you. The covenant is designed to work in your favor. Even when the enemies are surrounding you and everything seems to be working against you, the covenant will come in and work in your favor. The covenant will come in and work in your favor. If God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, who can be against us? Let them create weapons, but no weapon fashioned against you shall ever prosper. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the inheritance of the righteous. Can I ask you, as you leave this day, I want you to go home telling yourself, I will not forget my covenant. That's, that's my assignment today, uh, just to deposit this, this stubbornness in you, where you can stand up and say, I will not forget. No matter what, I will not forget. I'm not going to forget my covenant. Because the moment you forget your covenant, you deprive yourself of the covenantal privileges. I will not forget. This is my commitment. I will not forget. This is my declaration from today. I will not forget. Even when I go on the deathbed and they tell me there isn't much that we can do, we're just waiting for you to go. Let me tell you, I will not forget my covenant. In that moment, I will not forget my covenant. Even when my children are going haywire, they're going haywire. I cannot understand what's going on in my children. But let me tell you, I will not forget my covenant. Even though my manager begins to work against me and people are plotting things against me, I will not forget my covenant. Even when my church brothers rises up against me in church, I will not forget my covenant. Forgetfulness 
is disastrous. Don't forget your covenant. That's why on that day in Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus was sitting with disciples for the last time, on the last Passover meal, the Bible says that he took the cup and he gave it to them. And he says, take and drink. This cup is the blood of the new covenant that is shed for the remission of your sins. And he took the bread and he gave it to them and he says, take and eat. This, is the, this, this, this blood is the body that is broken for you. He was breaking the covenant. But I like the words that you read already say, as often as you do this, do it. You know what? Remembrance is the opposite of forgetfulness. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance. Because he knew that we are forgetful. To remember, it means to bring back the reality of the past into the present. To remember, it means to bring back the reality of the past into the present. So when I remember the covenant that Jesus cut for us 2,000 years ago on that old rugged cross, all I'm doing is I'm bringing the reality that happened 2,000 years ago and I'm bringing it into the present. So when I remember I'm making the cross so fresh, Church, the seal of the new covenant is the Holy Ghost. Don't forget him. Don't forget him. Leaders, don't forget the Holy Ghost. Central region leaders, in all that we may do in the house of the Lord, let us not forget the Holy Ghost. Every young person in the house, can I encourage you, in all that you do, desire the Holy Ghost. Desire the Holy Ghost in your life. Desire the power of the Holy Ghost to flow and to move in your life. Can I ask you, sisters in the house, all the ladies in the house, can I ask you, let us not forget the Holy Spirit. All the mothers in the house, as we raise our children, let us not forget, it's going to take more than the advice of friends. You're going to need a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that's the Holy Ghost. That's the Holy Ghost. Upon our Sunday school, the Holy Ghost. Upon our young people, I pray the Holy Ghost. I pray the Holy Ghost. Wherever you are, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to raise your hand. Holy Ghost, we need you. Holy Ghost, touch us. Touch us, Holy Ghost. Thank you for tuning into Your Change, a broadcast aimed at revealing grace and empowering transformation. To interact with us, please visit our website at afmimmiltonkeens.org or follow us at Ebenezer Fellowship AFMIM on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also interact with Pastor Danny on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For easy access, the links are in the description. Until we meet again, may heaven keep smiling at you.